0: We definitely try and not have creative like no-go zones. I mean, well, I think what I'm most excited about the show is how how much we engage with the irresolute. We're always trying to stretch a little bit for like. Hopefully, it's not like it's not like go there, don't go there, but just like go farther.
1: I'm Casey Finney, and this is Fast Company's Creative Conversation, a podcast where we tap into some of the most creative minds in film, TV, music, and beyond. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm not one to make grand or exaggerated statements, so take what I'm about to say with all sincerity. Terrence Nance is one of the most daring filmmakers working today. Back in 2012, his debut feature and oversimplification of her beauty became one of Sundance's most talked about films that year, and for very good reason. It's a movie that completely deconstructs cinematic storytelling in the most visually arresting ways imaginable. And now, Terrence is bringing that same genre-bending style and avant-garde aesthetic to TV with his new HBO show, Random Acts of Flyness. In six episodes, Terrence is tackling white supremacy, sexuality, the patriarchy, and much, much more through his very specific vision. And trust me when I tell you, it's a show like you've never seen before. Whether or not what you're working on is as left of field as Terrence's projects, getting a glimpse into his creative process will definitely shake loose some inspiration. Terrence, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having Uh, me. Before we get into your new HBO show, Random Acts of Flyness, I want to take it back to some of your early days. You have degrees in both visual art and studio art, but you never actually studied filmmaking, so, how would you say your training in the art space and your lack of training in filmmaking influenced your style?
0: Uh, I'm actually like, was I really trained as an artist? Like, did they teach me how to do anything? <laughs> that's a fair. That's a question. Um, I, I paid so, some money. Well, <laughs> no, but it was uh, Yeah, I don't. I don't. I never really thought about it like that. I think that like, my mother's an actress, and um, I was around theater a lot. I don't think I was ever actively being trained or directed, but I, I think I absorbed some of that, and my dad's a photographer. And I think that that, you know, just knowing what composition is, I think I knew inherently what the law of thirds was, or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. I I understood, I think, filmmaking without understanding the protocol of, like, the personnel. I think I knew the technical side of it, sort of just as well as anybody, I guess, because of, you know, my parents, and also, you know, my, my father's a musician, so like, the sound, music side of it and also you know i guess a big thing that now i'm really thinking about it i learned how to make films in church because i was really? on the um yeah i, I was a uh, I i learned how to edit in church on like a real to real editor because i and the the guy who taught me was his name his name is arthur porter and so i learned how to mix the sound like i learned how to use the soundboard to like do the live mix of the church service and i learned how to operate the camera to like shoot the church service and then i learned how to like edited and i mean nonlinear editing existed at the time but right. we didn't have that <laughs> we just had the linear editor so it was like a reel-to-reel tape linear editor you know there was like a live edit you would like call the show kind of like live broadcast so there was that element of it right you know i was doing that for years so i probably took taken those skills and gotten a job at a
1: tv station probably you know but i didn't know that was a thing so what made you want to make films like what was it about that medium that inspired you to, to go down that path what well, was it about the medium I, mm-hmm. I don't
0: I don't know that I ever, ever had that feeling of like being allured by the medium you know mm-hmm. I think it was more just like I wanted to with oversimplification and I guess like a few short films before that I was really trying to impress the um, the women who it was about <laughs> so I was like you know what let me just make this like movie because like I can kind of do that kind of well. Like that's that's what I know I could like kind of stunt, you know, and like really do it. And like <laughs> I think that like you know I was doing making paintings and stuff around then or whatever, doing that type of thing too. But it felt like I think movies occupy more. Um, they read a spectacle more or you know they read as a grand gesture
1: right the, the grandest the most creative way to flirt possible exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah so
0: like I mean if I had like maybe I could have wrote a novel too but then I would not never never I wouldn't have had any assurance she would have read it right. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it just was like uniquely suited to the task in that case and I had made a movie called Exercise and Rejection like not mm. too long before and you know it was kind of a similar thing like I used it to communicate with this woman I was in love with named Gugulet, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, you know, she dismissed it also. It was, like, kind of fun to be dismissed in that way. It was, like cause I think it was like, oh, I got, got
1: dismissed, but it was like, I got this little film out of it, you know. I love that. So, and, you know, talking I and mean, speaking about uh, an oversimplification of her beauty, I remember when the movie came out and how people raved about how singular it felt you blended real footage from your life with animation and stop motion and so many other forms of filmmaking and it was all told in this heavily deconstructed timeline so when you think back to making that film what can you glean what can you take away about your creative process then versus now i mean i made i made like 28 or 9 pieces
0: at this point so like i mean now i have uh, i have a feeling when I enter into any situation that in the macro it's going to be all right at the end. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to die and somebody <laughs> will like it, you know? Right. And I think that that wasn't there at the beginning. You know, like, I, I, I didn't, you know, in making the first few things, just have any idea how it would turn out like on any level. Like, if there, if the camera would expose the image, you know? What I mean? <laughs> like right. You know, there's, even if I kind of knew maybe technically it would, like, there's all this sort of, there's a lot of anxiety in the process that's just related to just not knowing um, more, kind of a, you know, irrational spiritual anxiety that like it's all go- going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I think that like, at least for me, as I've made things over the years, I think of it more as like a bodily function, you know, it's just yeah. like it's not about me, first of all, it's just like passing through me. And then like it's, it, it's, it has to happen just for the healthy functioning of this kind of embodied incarnation of me in the world.
1: Right. You know? And, so kind of thinking to the the short films that you made including the one that an oversimplification of beauty is based on did you feel a sense of what people say when you go to art school or you know for writing or fine arts whatever it might be is that you have to almost unlearn what you learned and so kind of getting into the filmmaking space did you feel any sense of creative freedom or was it just kind of worry that you wouldn't be able to that you wouldn't live up to some expectation in your head of like what a filmmaker is like what was that like for you getting into that space? I definitely wasn't thinking about
0: any of that like I wasn't thinking so much about the history of film or like what people think a filmmaker is or isn't you know I do remember like certain things that happened like I had um, you know I worked at the film school so like I worked in the checkout room checking out equipment and the first DP for the project associate producer on over Matt, Matt Bray was like he was like my boss and like a great friend of mine like a huge just like supporter and you know great camera person and DP and filmmaker in his own right editor and like I remember I wrote the first the script and it was just like 30 pages or something just like single spaced text like Mm -hmm. prose text (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) and it was essentially it was essentially just like the voiceover and then it was like broken into like this is the this is the verse this is the chorus this is the bridge Cause I was like it was <laughs> like, like a, a song. song yeah <laughs> and then it had like I had storyboards so it was this voiceover that was written like a song and drawings and you know I, Matt had gone to film school and he read and he was like alright let's shoot like next week or, you know he didn't have any like well maybe you should go get final draft like nobody oh, right. said that to me <laughs> right, <laughs> like right. there was no I wasn't in an environment even though I was working at the film school but then also like I had other friends in Films and I would hear like how people would process like the work they're making. It was definitely more from like a linear narrative, um formal perspective that reassured me that that's not something that I was like necessarily inclined to or interested in. So, you know, I had a teacher who was really great. And I, not, I say that she's really great because maybe this thing she said to me wasn't really great, but in general she was amazing, <laughs> and she like really helped me out in a lot of ways. A great mentor for me. Um, and she's an amazing like artist in her own right but yeah this thing she said to me once after watching like the first cut of it at the time it's called How Would You Feel um, she said Terrence you need to decide if you're going to be an artist or a filmmaker mm. and I was like I remember just instantly being like eh, no I don't but <laughs> <laughs> but I see why you say that but I don't you know and I, I didn't have like an animosity uh, maybe I, I can't remember maybe that animosity is gone but at the time I was kind of like there's a different like I don't okay you know like but I, I see what she meant she right. meant that like I needed to kind of choose on which what what the exhibition strategy was for the things I was making right. like where's it gonna live and I wasn't making that decision because I didn't know I didn't know how you get things either place anyway I didn't know how you get things in galleries or movie theaters so I was just like well I'm just making this shit right now so what's my grade <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> not in that way but like you know but but I guess I say all that to say it wasn't I wasn't like thinking about it like that I was just trying to make the shit like make it like resonate and vibrate on a certain level and right. and then um you know
1: people process it how
0: they process it
1: you know that's what I found really interesting when I first watched an oversimplification of her beauty because and even Random Acts of flyness, your new show on HBO because I kept thinking that this is something that could easily be seen at a contemporary art museum and not just as a screening, but as a piece of art itself. And that made me just think about the context in which we experience art and how it can influence our perception of it. I mean, you just said that you didn't concern yourself with it then, but where you're at now as a filmmaker and as as an artist, I mean, are you ever worried that your creative vision will be misconstrued because of those preconceived notions of what should be a film or what should be a TV show or what should be an art piece?
0: Worry, I mean, I feel like I have too many other things to worry about. A bit, you know what I mean? but Hello. like True like, enough. I mean, I think just the privilege of being a black person in America alive at you know in their thirties, like I want everything is icing. You know what I mean? So it's See, like, if you're just gonna talk about truth, now <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? just go ahead. <laughs> but so I don't really think about like I don't think about the context of you know especially with the TV show. I mean, I think I have a my energies in general like. I think I enjoy being freaked out myself. I enjoy right. being, I enjoy like coming to a space and thinking one thing and then getting something else. So like, if if anything, if that's happening, it's like, oh, that's that's a plus for me that like you came with one set of expectations and then those were subverted. Like that's 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 a win, you know. Right. I think that what you said, for instance, about like this TV show and art museum is more about, it's more speaking to the expansiveness of what's in art. Institutions than it is speaking to the limited nature of what's on TV, Mm. because you know they played when the levees broke at the Whitney Biennial like Mm -hmm. four biennials ago. You know what I mean? Or like Esperanza Spalding, I think, was also at that Biennial just doing a concert. You know, so it's like what's in art, contemporary art context, especially now and like or in the last several decades, has been so expansive that it's it means nothing almost. You know what I mean? So I think it's more. In reaction to like what is or isn't on TV, you know, the speed at which that ha- is expanding has created a situation where, like the contemporary art world, like there's really no way of tracking what is normal anymore. So I don't think people's expectations are what they were even five, six years ago. Like, I think people are a little bit trained to come
1: to TV now and
0: be like, I don't know what the fuck's about to happen,
1: right. you know? <laughs> when I found out that you were going to have a show on HBO, I was like, oh my God, how is this going to look? Because I know your style. I've, I've watched your films, your short films and your feature films. And I was like, how is this going to play out? It just seemed like your work is so out there that there was, nev- there was not anything on HBO and really anything on TV that's like Random Acts of Flyness. So what was it like developing this this project? Did you have creative reign? Did you, did, did you have complete creative control over it? What was it like bringing your vision to, your unconventional vision to a somewhat conventional network?
0: I don't think about myself as unconventional, you know? Hmm. I think that, like, before Game of Thrones came out, a show with that level of production values, that's like a fan, medieval fantasy... Mm-hmm. We'd be like, what? No, like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? I think convention is like maybe in a more like network TV space. Like, it could be like that could be said to exist in a way that I would it would enter my mind as something I'm thinking about. But you know, I wasn't thinking about that at all when making it or when thinking about where it could be. I I was more thinking just the idea of like engagement. You know, because I. One thing I know why I don't necessarily consider myself unconventional, quote unquote, is because my experience of people watching my work is that they engage, they mm-hmm. don't disengage. And I think that that's the only metric that's at play with any kind of screen media, but definitely anything on TV is like, are people engaging consistently? Right. And like, are they going to sit there and check out? And I've also made shit where people check out. And like, <laughs> <laughs> and I know where they check out or why. And like, I don't think, uh, I think maybe dog-whistled in the idea of conventionality is like, is it something that people will generally engage with over time, right. you know? And to me, I've never had a problem with that, like, and I think that that way of approaching it to me t- has taken me out of the kind of expectation that there are certain spaces that may or may not be off-limits to me, certain, like, networks. And, you know, to to that point, like, working with uh, HBO, is like, they were totally... Free with mm-hmm. what they just, I mean, no, there was no situation in which they were like, you know what, Terrence, that's too weird, or right. that's too, and you know, I maybe would have expected that, but I mean, I didn't necessarily expect that because I don't think it's just that weird, you know I mean? <laughs> But, <laughs> but there was like, there was questions if they didn't understand something exactly readily or whatever, or, you know, there was definitely like discussions, but nothing that would have like made me feel like, oh, the thing I'm presenting is illegible. The mm-hmm. legibility is what risks disengagement right? Know? and so I mean that's my challenge in all times like I want to engage people I want to engage people like consistently and I think it's a matter of legibility and I think that the thing I work on when I'm talking when I'm talking to you or, or making art that then you have to watch or listen to is legibility like right. to what extent am I being understood and I think they're on board with that you know
1: no, I love that and starting from the basis of like having this legible piece and kind of being understood and getting your message across from there, where do you go in terms of deciding how you're going to present your vision? Because you are certainly not afraid to mix in animation, stop motion, just different, all these different levels of how you can tell a story. And specifically with random acts of flyness, it's these different acts. Like it's just, it's exactly what the title suggests. Like it's these almost sketches that are stitched together you have like a cohesive theme but then there's all these different ways that you go about telling that the story of that theme so how do you decide that process like what is that like how do you approach an episode of Random Acts of for example mm, that's a good question
0: yeah I mean I think the best description of the show is the title the <laughs> title is the
1: description <laughs> like what's the
0: show about Random Acts <laughs> of planet. just that's what, what you heard yeah. how does it come about I mean the first episode I, I won't say I mean it came about a little bit differently because it was a you know there was no writers' room or anything, so it was more just like me taking, you know, stuff I had done and and um, giving it a, a a kind of through line that was also interacting with stuff that other collaborators of mine have made independently. Francis Badomo, Shaka King, mm-hmm. I'm a real estate hissus Molesky, you know, um, different people who who I'm connected with, I, I work with, and um, I'm inspired by. So that was the pilot, but then, you know, the the rest of the series was totally different um, because it was hyper collaborative. You know, the writers' room was more accurately described probably as like a creators' room or like a a writer directors' room because I think everybody in the writers' room also directed pieces and took a more conceptualist sort of um, perspective on on the micro and macro of the show. Right. It's hard to talk about how an episode comes together without telling you what's <laughs> happening in the episode, <laughs> but but I guess it's it's just to say that like you know we have these minds in there and we we're, we all have a kind of long standing relationships at least everybody has a long standing relationship with me whether or not they all know each other super well. It's a crazy amount of different skill sets with people who all direct right we all have like a ton of authorship over every little thing you know, and like every word is kind of like really put through the process of everybody's, everybody's perspective, you know.
1: It sounds like it's pretty, uh, an, an even spread, uh, amount of responsibility across the spectrum with your, with your creative team. But in terms of being the leader of this, of your creative vision, how has that been for you? Have you ever been in this position? Like you've, you've obviously directed, you know, many, many films before, but this feels like a different enterprise it seems like there's there's a lot more people involved in uh in the collaboration process so how has that been for you stepping into that position of being the leader of this creative team
0: it's not that i mean you know in directing films you are kind of always that i think it's just a bigger film as in you know Mm -hmm. it's a three hour three or four hour film something like that so it's just scaling up what you're kind of always doing but i mean i would say that like just authorship wise you know it's all of ours for sure I think the only, the biggest difference is they essentially get to stop working on a certain day. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you don't. I keep going, you know. <laughs> but we we all are in each other's lives before this, so it's not like we haven't like given each other feedback or worked together even mm-hmm. on certain things. Decisions had to be made hyper collaboratively and more quickly than I think anybody was used to, and that definitely was a whole other thing that I had to get used to and just like. You know, being available as a as a both a friend and a collaborator, and a, you know, show creator, and like all these different things, it was definitely like some new shit that I had never done before, and like had to wrap my head around, and and did not do perfectly at all. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like, <laughs> I think it's like a, just like all things, you know, there's a, some a learning curve to this the new experience. But I think that the the kind of authorship that kind of makes it maybe feel more like me quote unquote if that even exists which I, I don't know that it does yet because I haven't had I don't have enough distance from it is a little bit more just like in the post production because like edits are I'm doing them you know like so right. we have you know another great collaboration is between the editors um, writers are all directors but then some of them are also the editors you know what mm-hmm. I mean and then what comes through is like how things are juxtaposed so that, you know right. there's a lot of like writing in the editing process so but I think that you know my, my last pass is definitely kind of like form it into a rhythm that like how i move, how i see it, how mm-hmm. i feel it. That's to me is like maybe the most rewarding creatively moment is like kind of like finding that those juxtapositions that you couldn't have imagined exactly um, until the moment you see it and it's like okay, that's where it is. It's locked in, it's locked into to place. So right. I think maybe that's where that that kind of feeling comes from.
1: Watching the first episode I feel like it's a show that can go anywhere. I mean, you have this very talented singing Grim Reaper. You have this very interesting open with you and a police officer are not going to give anything how that ends, but it, it really sets the tone that anything can happen. So when you have kind of this seemingly boundless creative playground for you to tell your stories, what guardrails are in place to keep you focused? Like, what what are your what are your creative boundaries to make sure that you can have as much leeway to tell your stories as possible to make sure that you're telling something that is legible? Time and money. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's
0: it. We I mean, we definitely try and not have creative, like, no-go zones. I mm-hmm. mean, well, I think what I'm most excited about on the show is how, how much we engage with the irresolute. I'm really attracted to, like, Mixolydian scale like modal scales or like you know something about things that don't that resolve in a way that you couldn't have either couldn't have expected or don't resolve in a way Hmm. that lands on um, a clear emotion or decision Right. um, that really like attracts me and I think that that means that when we're sitting there it's like oh we can't talk about that in that way you know we can't really say that we kind of deal with it like no well let's say both things let's like let's let's say the thing that has like the most tension in it and mm-hmm. and see where that takes us and i think that like sometimes we were very successful with that and then sometimes you can feel feel the um the danger in like what we're trying to articulate you know that's the exciting place for me conceptually we're always trying to stretch a little bit for like well, what's the, the what's the irresolute emotional state within that or in comparison to that you know, tonality. And hopefully it's not like, it's not like go there, don't go there, but just like go farther, you know? Right.
1: So, would you say that there are any flaws in your creative process? Like when you think about how you work, is there anything that you feel that you could improve upon? Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I wouldn't phrase it as flaws. Like, cause it's mm-hmm. like, that's not just my, It's like all of our, you know, like I said, it's like a big collaboration. But, um, and we learned a lot. I think that the things that we would do better are more like, you know, emotional, spiritual, re- relational things. that about like just preserving the human relationships in a certain way, while in high pressure, fast moving situations, that's mm-hmm. so much about like aesthetics or, or anything like that you would think is related to like directly related to what's on the page or what's on the screen. You, know? I got you. it's more like the getting there. Like, how do you feel getting there, as opposed to mm-hmm. like what it takes to get there. Anybody, anybody that I'm around, definitely in the community making art, they're killing it on the ideas and just like what's there. Like no, nobody's at a, at a loss for that. I think that like the thing that everybody's trying to figure out is just how to do it in the resource environment that we're in with the systems of repression that we're dealing with. Mm. You know, that's that's the real challenge. You know,
1: right. And you know, I think that that kind of speaks to what I was going to ask you next. I mean, much if not all of your focus has been on black characters and, and subjects, which is interesting because we don't get to see ourselves portrayed through a lens quite like yours. And even among your contemporaries like Donald Glover and Issa Rae and Davi Diggs, who are all doing incredible work of their own, what you're bringing to the table with a show like Random Max of Flyness feels like an even broader extension of a larger conversation of the modern black experience. And so I'm just curious to know, like, how do you see your particular creative vision fitting into this larger conversation?
0: It's interesting, you know. I think, I think we're all related, you know. Like, is the word kismet, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- what's the word when it's like something's happened? Like,
1: <laughs> it's like <a> we're, <laughs> you know,
0: just like a relation, like something. There's like yeah, some interconnected thing going on which is not you know I just said we're interconnected kind of inherently whether that's like in a fictive kinship type of way mm-hmm. or whether it is something more um, esoteric and I think that, that the thing that's more important about it is the extent to which it like keeps you making in, a, in an environment where you feel like oh, okay they're doing that like I love that like let me let me go be my most specific viscerally me you know mm-hmm. um as opposed to kind of maybe what I assume is more the nature of your question is like, how do how is it gonna kind of like fit into the catalog of mm-hmm. of black creative expression at this moment? I don't necessarily think there is a catalog in that way, you know. I don't know that there's like a way for me to sit from the perspective of viewing it like a catalog right. or like looking at the TV like oh and go oh and there and then there's that and I I can't I can't really be in that right that subjectivity. I can kind of only be the person who's kind of like. In the family, you know what I mean, and then like, what does it feel like to just be in, in community in that way, and in family that way, you know?
1: Right. And so, just thinking back on what on your experience of creating Random Acts of Flyness, what would you say has been your biggest creative takeaway from it? What is something that you learned from working on this project that you feel like I'm definitely going to apply to future things that I do? <laughs>
0: That I can say on record, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm still in it. So it's hard. That's a hard one because you know, I need some distance from it. You mm-hmm. know, um, well,
1: actually, okay. So if you need, so thinking in the in this in the realm of having distance from it, what was something that you learned from an oversimplification of, of her beauty that hmm. you, you've carried on with you till today?
0: A lot. You know, I th- one big thing is that like I gotta let the work go when it's done for me you know and out in the world you know just move on you mm-hmm. know like it's hard I had to have the experience of like ingratiating myself and making sure it was out that film was out in a certain way to know that like I don't I can't do that both logistically because it's just like you know you gotta keep making other stuff but then also just like as a matter of the heart you know it's like Again, it's a bodily function, you know? Right. See, I think that was a big thing that I learned. And then it just gave me a lot of confidence because it's like, I put everything into that. You know, like I really remember, like after I submitted to Sundance, I was like, this shit better work out because I I don't have anything else. Like (laughs) I I gave it all. You know, like I get like every piece of, like obviously just physical energy, like every calorie. (laughs) Like I, I burned every calorie on that, you know, like physically. And it was like a very. Um, kind of harrowing physical experience of just like finishing it, you know. And the the big thing is like the movie gave me back what I put into it 100%, even more, you know. Because not just, and I, I also got to say, it wasn't just me, it was me and Chanel Ponte Pearson and, and James Bartlett and Matthew Bray and Sean Peters and countless number of other people who were over almost a decade, you know, were like making that thing with me, you know. So it's like, is giving back what what it, what it you put in, so I think that, that it, it brought that lesson home
1: for me. And I'm absolutely positive that you're going to get that same kind of feedback from Random Acts of Flyness because it is a show like no other in the best type of way possible. So congratulations, man. It's amazing, and thank you for your time. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening to Fast Company's Creative Conversation. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe if you like what you've been hearing. Have a good one.